spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. And welcome to the 165th annual Subliminal Deception Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Cody. I'm joined by my pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Nah, not doing too bad. You want a real quick, this is a two-second weather report. You talk about how hot it is all the time, right? I think yep. this week has been the first week this year where I would say it's uncomfortably hot outside here. And that's mostly because... The humidity got cranked up, you know, that typical Minnesota Midwest humidity. We're like in the peak of that. Oh, damn. Are the mosquitoes that are the size of fucking bats, are they out yet? <laughs> luckily, I don't go outside too much, so I have <laughs> luckily avoided them. See, people don't get this. If you don't want to get bit by mosquitoes, don't hang out outside. It's that easy, guys. Yeah, I just don't have a life. Yeah. I actually had, <laughs> I was going to tell you a story really quick. I had a fun weekend. It didn't seem like it was going to be that great of a night. Me and uh, a few of my friends, we went out to go grab some uh, Mexican food at this place called Dos Gringos out in Mesa. And basically, it's a huge bar, kind of like with a big venue area. The venue area, though, was closed off. Uh, me and my friends kind of asked the bartender what was going on. They said that the, the MMA was on tonight and uh, they were having cover for it. And I kind of asked the bartender, like, oh, are they going to have, like, a big screen, like a projector for the UFC fights? He's like, oh, no, it's not going to be that. We have a cage set up, and we have a bunch of local fighters coming in who are going to fight tonight. So it ended up going from being just a kind of quiet night out, you know, eating Mexican food to watching poor people fight each other for our entertainment. Yeah. So it was pretty awesome. You know, it's funny you say that. I have went to one of those before. So did you guys stay the whole time? Yes. Yes, we did. Okay. Did you notice, this is what I noticed from like, I guess the amateur aspect of uh, uh, MMA, they will fight for maybe 20 to 30 seconds. And then it's just like grappling on the ground. Yes. Uh, so some of the not very good fighters, the first few matches, they were definitely first round tap outs. There was actually one first round knockout, which was pretty awesome. But yeah, there was uh, there was a one guillotine and one triangle, but it was it was a pretty good match for the first minute, maybe, and then it kind of resorted to grappling and yeah. uh, an eventual chokeout. I think maybe you'll feel the same way, but when I saw the amateur version, it really makes you appreciate the level of stamina <laughs> like the professionals yes. have, because you know the the people there they're obviously in great shape, most of them. And they can only make it 30 seconds to a minute. And then it's like, all right, we're tired. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Second to last fight was the heavyweight guys going at it. And those were just big bruisers, just, you know, dropping bombs on each other. But then the, the last fight was actually the two best guys going at it. And it was it was a really good fight. Went all three rounds uh, back and forth the whole time. There was even a, a low blow and, you know, it was like very high drama. The One of the guys was about 6'8", 
The other guy was about 5'9", maybe 5'8". So kind of a David versus Goliath matchup. Everyone was chanting the the small guy's name. He ended up winning in the end. Oh, yeah. That was a great show. You know what? That also, um, I believe one of our listeners, uh, his handle's Lunchbox, right? He Yeah. He posts like the amateur amateur pro wrestling or whatever that he watches. I want to find one of those, but I don't know where to go to see it. Oh yeah, um, they. The thing is, it's not really an underground thing. You, if you kind of get in that community a little bit, um, you could probably, you know, hear about. If you go to one and make friends, you're going to hear about where more and more are. Obviously, Instagram's big for that too. My cousin actually down in i believe he still lives in iowa um he actually announces for a small promotion a wrestling promotion this guy that's pretty badass honestly yeah he does the announcing and then he goes back and does the uh the commentary Hell so yeah. it's pretty sweet yeah okay uh one final thing before we get in the episode here i wanted to talk about so i had been looking for a new show to watch because the anime i had been watching was all done and yep. I kind of was like, what should I watch? Well, they have a show that's apparently highly rated, like of all time, called The Vinland Saga. And okay. it's like an anime about Vikings and all that shit, right? Yeah. And I remember you kind of did that episode about it. And it's interesting because they have like, they talk about Vinland is like this magical place. Most of them are Norwegian warriors, but the main character is kind of from Iceland, and uh, they have Leif Erikson in it, and I, he's the main name I've seen so far, but it's uh, it's pretty sweet. I don't know how historically accurate it is, but oh, it's pretty good. not very, but yeah. No. Yeah. yeah, like we were talking about in that episode, Vinland is kind of in the, well, it's Canadian, and then kind of like dips down into the United States a little bit. Um, kind of not really known exactly where it might be, but they are, you know, they're more than sure now, of course, with all the archaeology, but they know that, you know, the Nordics did make it all the way to North America. Not just Iceland and Greenland. So it's uh it's it's pretty sweet. They have uh you know obviously like the Norse boats. I, I think the weaponry is kind of you know, drawn like they would use very violent, which I like. Um, so I wish I could remember the main guy's name It's something, the troll. I wonder if that was actually like a warrior's name. Ah, maybe a female from Wisconsin. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that could be Phil. Uh, although most of those are Germans. So I don't yep. know. Norwegians are Minnesota. Germans are Wisconsin. So Wisconsin and spread pretty much across the upper Midwest. Germans kind of, well, it was the Irish and the Germans, you know, inhabiting most of those towns. So, yeah, no, it's, yeah, Norwegians, Germans, Swedish, and um, lots of Czech people too. Yeah. Well, mostly just in the area we grew up, but yeah. that's not really important. I was going to say <laughs> for that TV show, for that anime, just as long as they weren't wearing horns helmets i'd be fine i'd be pretty pissed if i uh saw horns on helmets for vikings no horn helmets um but they okay. are drinking beer out of the horns oh okay yeah well they i think they did do the they actually still you can buy i think in maybe if you go out to some other festivals you can still buy like a horn of ale 
type situation. So yeah, I, now that you mentioned, it, I didn't see any any horned helmets. They have like the traditional helmet where it kind of comes down to your nose as yep. like the ovals. Not a big helmet, but just enough to cover your head. Yeah, kind of almost like that Saxon helmet, just enough to keep you from getting your face split open pretty much. <laughs> it reminds me of the cover of Skyrim, that guy. Yes. Yeah, yep. that. With the arrow in his knee. Yep, yeah, definitely. <laughs> anyway, Phil, I'll let you take the reins here and uh, take us on a little adventure. All right. Throughout a person's lifetime, fear dominates the human experience, shaping and controlling not only the actions of our present, but eventually our futures and how we live our lives and perceive the reality around us. Monsters under the bed as a child, rejection and unrequited affection as a teenager, stopping for gas in a town made up entirely of mobile homes as an adult. <laughs> Fear of all kinds molds us into the men and women that we have become. Though phobias, as troublesome as they may be, are actually meant to keep us safe and alive. Those being like heights, Spiders, snakes, or even drowning, just to name a few, are meant to keep us out of dangerous situations, and a predisposition to having them could possibly even be passed down genetically. Though there is one fear that is meant to not only keep us safe, but also keep humanity as a whole in line, and that is a fear of incarceration, serving time in prison to pay for a crime that one has committed. Is this a big fear for you, Phil? Yes, it is. I mean, I don't really I'm not a not a huge like lawbreaker ever. So it is one of those things like listening to all the true crime. You do worry about, you know, being falsely accused of a crime and winding up in prison for something you didn't do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it's something I don't really think about very often, but it would be scary if you're locked in a cage and you can basically never get out of it. Um, I don't know. I've I've only spent about half a day in a jail <laughs> before. <laughs> and I got to say, it wasn't great. I don't think, have you? I don't think you have, right? No, I've uh, never, never spent any time in a jail. I always kind of have one of, one of those faces where, it, you know, even if I had committed a crime in front of a cop, they'd probably just call me an idiot and tell me to go home. One of those situations. <laughs> Get on out of here. No, I was, uh, you know, very stupid young man drinking and driving. Not a, not a wise decision on my part, obviously. And I hope anybody out there listening, do not drink and drive. It's not worth it. Yeah, actually, your uh, time getting in trouble for that kept me from doing it like ever. Because I remember just how much of a pain in the ass it was for you. So, you know what? It was uh, not great. Even the uh, youngins... I, you know, that I am friends with now, I'm always like, don't do it, man. Don't drink and drive. We'll find some way to get you home. Definitely. Isolation, loneliness, the loss of personal freedoms and the ability to progress in society outside of the fence. Not to mention, of course, the fear of physical and sexual assault by your fellow inmates and the guards meant to protect you. With the end result being that you become institutionalized and finding yourself needing the comfort of the rigorous regiment that your surroundings have offered you. However, what happens when those everyday routines are broken up? And even worse, a situation flares up, causing your hell on earth to get exponentially darker. That is what we will be discussing today in this episode, as we will be looking into the cause of 
and the outcome afterwards of one of America's longest prison uprisings in history. This speaking, of course, the 1987 riot at the Federal Penitentiary in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, I actually don't think I have a any knowledge of this, actually. Yes, if we were about 10 years older, then we would probably remember it pretty well. But considering that we were maybe two years old yeah. at the time, we're not going to remember it at all. No. So. I mean, isn't this when WrestleMania 3 was? I believe so. 1987. Yes. Yep. So, okay. I mean, it was a big year in that regard, but uh, I'm assuming the the residents of this prison were not having a good time. That's just... That's just my, the feeling I'm getting. Um, well, there was a situation that did occur that caused them to really, uh, really want to speak out. Uh, 1987 was kind of dominated mostly by Iran-Contra at the time, was the big story. In Georgia? In United States. Oh. I I, Iran-Contra was kind of the big story. I thought you were saying this prison was full of them. I'm like, why are they in oh, Atlanta, no. Georgia? <laughs> No, this prison was not full of uh, American military men selling <laughs> selling arms for cocaine. No, it wasn't. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know who, 1987, who could be here, though, Phil? Who's that? Probably the remnants of the Super Bowl champion Oakland Raiders, maybe. You know, that team that won the, the Super Bowl, one or two, the John Madden ones. I don't think they're oh, that yeah. far removed. So maybe they were currently here. Well, I imagine if they're the Oakland Raiders team, they probably <laughs> maybe deserve to be in prison. But yeah, they're not going to spend time as long as they can still lace up their boots and still play. You know what? Uh, quick thing here. Do you remember the Tom Brady tuck rule game? Yes, I do. Okay. So the guy, the head referee, I just learned this, the head referee who ruled on that and the Raiders were playing, obviously, the Patriots. That man just retired, and he never again officiated a Oakland Raiders game. Really? Yeah. So I guess they were, <laughs> I don't know if they are afraid he was going to get hurt or what. I don't Possibly. know. Possibly. I don't know. I, I would assume that he maybe got a one-night date with uh, Giselle, possibly <laughs> for that, or a, quite a big payout. Perhaps he's getting some of the adrenochrome that's, you know, making Tom Brady get yeah. younger and younger every year. I, I, I think you're right. Definitely. Now. When it comes to serving time in prison, a person unacquainted with the process and living conditions who happens to be facing a future stint in the clink may only have stories from friends and families, or far more likely, accounts taken from popular media put forth by actors and actresses under the lead of a director, led by advisors as to the ins and outs of life behind bars from those people who had actually been in there before. They often portray those conditions, though, as the worst possible. And this is largely for the benefit of the story. Yeah, uh, yeah, obviously, the if you have a movie, TV show, they're going to spruce it up a little bit. Like, if you ever watch the Sylvester Stallone documentary movie, Escape Plan, obviously, that's probably not going to happen every time where a man resembling a leather purse can escape from any prison <laughs> known to man. Definitely. I do believe that his greatest movie is Rambo. Then it is, of course, the movie where he's a arm wrestling trucker and then escape play. Those are his top three <laughs> movies. So I've actually, what is that movie called? I'm, over the top. Over I've the actually, top. Over the top. I yep. need to watch over it. I have never watched it. 
Yeah, I have watched it. It was way back when I was a kid. Uh, I just actually heard the it was Jimmy and James were making fun of it on Crime and Sports. So. <laughs> it's uh, I do need to watch it. It does seem like a, a one of those like funny movies you have to watch. Yeah, it's not funny on purpose, but it's hilarious just because of it's shit. what it is. Yeah. 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 But some of the movies kind of that, you know, people think of or TV shows, the the show Oz, a great show. A lot of people loved it. Uh, American History X and Shawshank Redemption, kind of, you know, iconic prison movies. Shawshank Redemption, obviously, you know, during early 1900s, not really kind of like today, what you would expect to find in a prison. Um. I don't know how accurate Shawshank Redemption is, but from all the true crime stuff that I've listened to, if you were a prisoner in either like a uh, a prison or some sort of reform school or like one of those Catholic reform Ugh. schools or whatever, ooh, there was it, it was not good. It was you're, brutal. And if you're in one of those Catholic reform schools, your butthole is going to be hurting. Yeah. It's not a good time for anybody, uh, except nobody, for the priest, of course, <laughs> you know, who is in fucking heaven. Nobody needs to be getting whipped and spanked that much. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it, but. Uh, unless that's your thing, but yeah, right, definitely. Right, right. <laughs> as long as you have all consenting parties, it's fine. I don't know. American History X, I think, I actually enjoy the movie, but. I feel like prison isn't, don't you think prison's kind of a small aspect of that movie? It is, but it kind of, you know, the, the part of the fear of it is like yeah. when he's in prison and, you know, how bad of a time he has until he, you know, that's kind of where he like turns his life around is in prison. But it is kind of like a, you know, it's a scary thing. The whole movie's pretty fucking horrifying. But yeah. 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 Uh, that's the the movie that made the curb stomp famous. Yeah, that scene hearing that man's teeth on the, on the like, um, curb. Car curb. Yeah. I didn't. Whatever sound effect they use, oof, it still makes it me cringe. Perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. There is also a portrayal of prison as kind of like a fun place, and that's Orange is the New Black. If anyone watched that, that was a it was a pretty decent show for the first couple of seasons. It it went off the rails a bit, but I look, I don't know if you ever watched that show. Uh yeah, 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 yeah. Um. I stopped after like four or five, I think, where they they had like the prison riot themselves. Actually, um, I think yeah, towards the end of that, that one is really not good. Yeah, the entire season was the prison riot. If I imagine, I don't think that's how all prisons are, but I imagine if you were into in a like low to medium security prison, you might have as much freedom as they did on that, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I don't exactly. I mean, the first couple of seasons, they definitely seemed like they were in prison. But then those middle seasons, it was almost like they weren't prisoners at all. Kind of. They would just they had their run of the place. It seemed like. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Pretty much. True. That was for the story, though. You know. Well, uh, did you did you read that Jelaine Maxwell was transferred to an extremely low security prison in Florida? Oh, I imagine. I, yeah. I imagine she's going to be transferred to the lowest of low security prisons known as her own home pretty yeah. soon. It so. it sounded like a resort to some people, honestly. Yeah, they call those club fed. <laughs> yeah, for the rich people. That's right. where they go. Right. Definitely. So, though the threat of violence will never be taken away, currently speaking, prisons are much more organized and sanitary than they had been ever before in America. 
as the private prison industry, though extremely flawed as it may be, realizes that sick and injured prisoners harm them in the worst way possible, and that is, of course, in their bottom line. With the cost of healthcare and medication skyrocketing, a medically debilitated inmate costs money forcing the prison industrial complex to become creative recently with the management of their facilities, all the while cramming as much of their product into the small amount of space as possible. So you're saying the only reason prison industrial complex cares about prisoners' health is because it uh, it affects their bottom line. Oh, definitely. Yeah, the cost of medicine. Honestly, if they didn't have to provide any, you know, healthcare or medicine, I imagine those places would just be disgusting, violent places that they just, you know, cram as many people into those cells yeah. as they can. Yeah. I mean, literally, probably closer to, I've never watched Oz, but like Shawshank Redemption, like people hear about Russian prisons and all oh, that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So a lot of prisons back in the 1800s, were more run like kind of like what you'd think of a prisoner of war camp. Mm -hmm. They were just literally, they were a camp. Like a lot of prisons now kind of have the name camp. That's because when they first started, they were literal camps. Right. That, you know, these prisoners basically lived at, and then they went out and they worked, you know, maybe they worked in fields. And this came, you know, after, especially in the South, after they freed the slaves, basically, you know, they tried to almost bring them back in, which kind of lives on today. Right, so, right, exactly. Just as scary, and possibly more so than serving time in a prison, is the prospect of being a guard or staff member of a prison during one of the most feared times in your job, and that is during a riot. Even worse, when that riot turns into a full-blown uprising, with members of the staff being taken hostage, held for ransom as bargaining chips in the hostile negotiations for their lives, and their captors' eventual surrenders. Today, we will be looking into one of those situations, where prison staff members in the Atlanta penitentiary were held hostage for over 11 days, awaiting the outcome of an uprising and very hopeful negotiations. 11 days? Yes. Wow, okay. That's got to be scary for, I'm assuming this isn't just the guards. It's like, yes, everybody. they were also kind of like government staff. Um, one of the guys that we talking about was like an accountant who worked in an office in the prison. He was also taken hostage. So it was kind of like, it's one of those huge prisons that has not only guards, but like kind of like middle management and staff working there too. <sighs> yeah. I, I, you know, obviously I don't know the story, but I have a feeling that, the guards might have been somewhat responsible for causing this riot. Well, you might actually be surprised. The reason why I picked this specific riot was because it wasn't really like all of the other ones. Okay. All right. So now, as far as the causes of most prison riots go, they are really what you might think of. Cramped living conditions, dirty surroundings, bad food, overuse of non-judicial punishments, a solitary confinement, of course, the lack of programs, and your know, sheer boredom. Not to mention being surrounded by a bunch of psychopaths who you really, you know, wouldn't ever even want to see if you were out in the open. Right. The main reason that inmates would attack guards 
that being trying to get out of prison was actually the opposite reason for the start of the riot that we'll be talking about today. As the vast majority of the inmates at the Atlanta Penitentiary were actually fighting to stay in prison right where they were. So, okay. So they were rioting to keep in prison. Yes, basically. Well, I mean, they, they wanted to, Technically, they wanted to also leave prison eventually, but they just didn't want to go where the United States government was going to send them. Gotcha. And I'll get into that in a minute. Okay, so. gotcha. Do you remember that Ger- yep. Gerard Butler movie where he goes to prison purposely to like kill people? Yes, so that he has an alibi while he's in prison uh, to kill all the people. He basically had the setup for all of the murders. That was a, a decent Gerard Butler movie after 300. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't have many, but... Um... What the fuck was that called? I do not remember what that was called. I remember his wife was murdered and raped. Yeah. And I believe his child was murdered also during a home invasion. And pretty much the guy who did the killing and the assault was he flipped on his partner who didn't actually who was holding the gun to his head. The guy who did all of the murdering basically testified against the other guy and got him prison time and he was able to basically go free because he testified right i found it law abiding citizen yes yep great movie that opening scene is pretty pretty fucked up oh yeah definitely one of the funny scenes in that movie was when he basically has you know the guards and the the investigators have no idea how he's doing all that from prison so they end up bringing him like a four course meal from a steakhouse and uh his his inmate like roommate is this dude who's like six foot nine just a big viking looking dude and he's like i'm gonna have to give you this food aren't i he's like yep (laughs) so he makes him share with them but then he stabs him in the throat yeah with the bone yep yeah i remember that okay phil this is definitely um way Back to the story here, I mean, this is definitely way different of a riot or the reason for the riot than I would have ever imagined. Yeah. So getting kind of into why they didn't want to go anywhere. In 1980, seven years before the Atlanta prison riot, Fidel Castro had proclaimed that Cubans who had wished to leave the country would be given an exit from their communist island allowing them to leave through the port of Mariel in Cuba. This would become known as the Mariel Boatlift, with over 125,000 Cubans fleeing to the shores of the United States. Then-President Jimmy Carter actually allowed the refugees entrance into the country, citing the United States' immigrant past with many iconic videos and images of Cubans fleeing across the Gulf, coming to Florida on overloaded boats. This major event became known as the Mariel Boat Lift. I mean, one of the best videos to kind of see this event is the documentary movie known as Scarface. Um, Yes. Very good. Uh, Obviously, Scarface or Tony Montana or whatever the fuck his name is, came over on uh, from Cuba. Him and... uh, Whatever his drug dealer partner's name was. Yes, definitely. Yeah, that is, I've, of course, I'm going to mention that movie, you know, in the, it's it's coming. But <laughs> that was, yeah. So, I mean, this was a major event. Uh, if you lived in 
Southern Florida, you definitely, you know, saw it change your entire world pretty much. Kind of stories from that time just immediately, you know, these neighborhoods were flooded with new, you know, new residents and they kind of spread them across the country a little bit as best they could. But a lot of that ended up staying in Florida. Yeah, I was going to say like Miami is like, I don't know for sure, but from what I've heard is like the biggest Cuban community in the United States anyway. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's I mean, even if you even if you plopped if you plop Miami with their Cuban population in Cuba, it would be one of the largest Cuban populations in Cuba, pretty much. Right. So it's there's it's just huge. Okay. Definitely. Now I need you to correct my ignorance here. Um, so I thought I always heard that Castro loaded up all the prisoners and shipped them over, but these were volunteers to come over, not prisoners or criminals or anything. Well, okay. So there are. I'm going to mention it in a little bit. Okay. okay. Uh, there are rumors that Castro basically the rumor was that he opened up the prisons and the mental institutions and in highly encouraged them, you know, by force to get on the boats and to go to the United States. That was kind of the, you know, the running rumors, the theories. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, yeah. I know Jimmy Carter isn't known as the greatest president ever, but I think even though even in America today this would be wildly unpopular. Oh, I definitely. Think, yeah. I, I think from a humanitarian aspect, it's the right thing to do. You have to also realize, too, we were kind of in the waning days of the Cold War. So anything kind of, you know, to to get back at the Soviet bloc, including, you know, Cuba, maybe it was seen as like, OK, we'll take these people and then we'll kind of show like that communism isn't really working. Because, I mean, at this point, it was kind of breaking down all over the world. Right. So, so you think it was more of a political move to do this versus like anything else? I mean, Jimmy Carter, if there was ever a president who you could say like had a big heart, it would be him. So maybe he did that out of the kindness of his heart, but it had to also be somewhat political too. Well, here's the thing. Everybody has to remember any man who is a peanut man Jimmy Carter is a peanut man. He comes from a long line of peanut farmers. Peanut men and women, they can do no wrong. So just just remember that, guys. That is true. He also, what, saw a UFO and he worked for Habitat for Humanity. So yeah. he's got to be a decent person. Yeah. He had kind of a nice haircut, too. Yeah. <laughs> now, when <laughs> he also put solar panels on the roof of the house, which Reagan immediately took down. Yeah. not but, Reagan's not a fan of that. No, definitely not. Now, when refugees finally came ashore, they were met by American immigration, performing the Herculean task of not only identifying the men and women newly coming into the country, but also trying to figure out where they would go and where to house the masses of humanities, really without a destination in their new nation. Of course, some of the Cubans did kind of have a place to go once they got past immigration. Many of them did not. These newcomers would become known as Marlitos due to where they had departed from. They would actually find lower status than previous Cuban immigrants due to their sheer numbers, 
Also, like we mentioned before, because of the rumors of Castro using this opportunity to flush out Cuba's criminal and mentally insane populations, which led to the stereotype that Maralitos were a dangerous and criminally oriented group portrayed as such in most of the news and popular media, most famously the legendary movie Scarface. Yeah, I, I guess I was kind of one of these people because that's what I had learned. But now that I'm like here thinking about it, if you know, this is kind of what, let's just be honest, any country in the world where they have immigrants from anywhere, they're instantly kind of given this, be careful, they're dangerous. You know what I'm saying? So definitely. Yeah. Obviously this incident is no different. So yeah, I guess it would be the perfect thing to make Castro look even more evil, right? He's like, Oh, he's sending us all our criminals and mentally insane people or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I mean, some of them did have criminal pasts, right? Not saying that all of them were squeaky clean, you know, but yeah, it's, I do. I'm pretty sure it has been debunked. I'm not exactly sure. It is still a big conspiracy that uh, Castro did kind of flood those boats with, you know, people he had let out of prison. So, yeah, I I don't know. Maybe one day we'll have to just do a whole episode on just this event. You know what I'm saying? Like oh, what yeah, Castro definitely. was doing. I don't Maybe there's no even information on it because it came out of Cuba. But I, I don't know. That has to be something interesting. You have to remember, too, a lot of the Cubans who had came to the United States and to Florida before this were, you know, political refugees who were Bautista supporters. A lot of the Bautista supporters were a bit wealthier. You know, at least most of them were pretty much middle class, like business owners, all the way up to the richest people in the country. A lot of the poorer people were supporters of Castro. So you got to think, too, a lot of the people who were already here probably were doing pretty well for themselves. So they might have, like, looked down on the Marlitos. Okay, hold on. You said that last name. Do you think David Batiste is a Cuban? Do I think Dave? I, he, I don't think he's a Cuban. I think he might be Italian. Okay. But the, yeah. So the leader of <laughs> Cuba before Fidel Castro was named Batista. Batista. Okay. Now, but yeah. Okay. Well, you know, Batista, Batista, yeah. whatever you want, however you want to say it. But yeah, that was his, happened to be his name. I actually think he's a better actor than wrestler, by the way. Maybe an un, unpopular opinion. He is a pretty good. He's pretty funny in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. So. Yeah, he is. Now, these conceptions were also, of course, conceived partly more out of a racial stereotype as nearly 40% of the fleeing immigrants in 1980 were of Afro-Cuban descent, whom had suffered from racial profiling back in Cuba for a century beforehand and had found much of the same in the land of the free. Yeah, that's it's really sad. You know, yeah. in the in the Western Hemisphere, Cuba was one of the last places to end slavery. Was it really? Do you know what year yeah. by chance? I don't remember off the top of my head. It was them and Brazil. Pretty much because they were still a colony of Spain for a while. Ah, okay. So, that, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it was... Uh, so Brazil was the last independent country, I believe, to get rid of slavery, and they were the last colony to get rid of slavery. I, I'm pretty sure technically, right? I know they've did news stories on it where some there's like a few spots in the Middle East that has like slavery practices, but they don't 
technically call it that, right? Well, it's not technically legal anywhere, but it happens. I mean, well, you're talking about kind of like Qatar. Is that what it is where they like keep a family indebted and they have to keep working it and like generations have to keep working for these people? Well, in Qatar, that's one of the places where these groups will come in from kind of like South Asia and countries, they'll bring these people in, but then they'll steal their passports and make them work. That's kind of one of the countries that does that. But there's pretty much, you know, slave trafficking all over the world. It's just not legal. It's it's one of the things that kind of like rich people do, it seems (laughs) like. We're learning more and more about, we mentioned Ghislaine Maxwell before. Yeah. Yeah, she's definitely a sex trafficker, and I don't know why you put her in a low-security prison, but whatever, Florida. Basically, she's getting rewarded for not snitching on all those politicians, I imagine. So you're going to give her some good accommodations. Very true. Many of these Maralitos, with few other opportunities, some of which actually were caught and arrested during the process of their naturalization, the United States government really didn't know what to do with them because of that. So they really, almost without even trial, had to be held. Uh, They decided to spread them across the nation, with most of them actually being put into the United States Penitentiary in Atlanta, Georgia, which had actually been in the process of closing down before that decision had been made. It was very old. It's interesting because we obviously know probably Florida's got to be one of the most crime-ridden states in the whole country. It's interesting they don't have, do they not have a penitentiary there? You would assume they would. Yeah, I believe they have, you know, it's it's Florida. They're going to have something <laughs> like that. But I doubt they wanted to keep them close to the rest of the Cuban population. I think they wanted to just slightly move them kind of north a little bit is my kind of like my take on it. Because I was thinking about that same thing. Like, why wouldn't they just house them in Florida? But you got to remember, too, they spread them out across the country in the first place. Also, you don't really want to keep them around their friends and family, you know. Yeah. You, you want to move them a little bit. So, a lot of their friends and family actually did supposedly move to Atlanta to kind of be closer to them though. Do you think Daytona Beach started out as a prison colony kind of like Australia? I have no idea. Okay. I imagine Tampa though probably was a penal (laughs) colony and yeah that's just a a terrible place the buccaneers are just horrible just gonna throw this out there i think daytona beach might be more white trash than tampa but also the more north you go i've heard that it gets worse and worse so you're talking about jacksonville Jacksonville, yeah definitely the closer you get to the georgia border you're you know, you're, you're, it's kind of an interesting area from what I've been told. Yeah. Florida is supposed to be kind of a weird state. The further north you go, the more you are type deal. Right. That situation. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you're kind of, you're, you're all, you know, you're, you're really in it when you're in the panhandle. Yeah. So. Yeah. Don't get out of your car. Oh, definitely. Lock the windows, roll, <laughs> roll them up, whatever you got to do. <laughs> the Atlanta prison. Originally designed to hold 1,500 inmates, held these men for years. Now, in the time that the Maraletas were in the Atlanta prison, they had been housed really with little incidents. That is, until November of 1987, when an agreement was made between the U.S. and Cuba. 
This agreement would see the sending back of about 2,500 criminal Marolettos held in facilities across the country. This began a quiet uproar in the different prisons housing Cubans once the news of the decision filtered through the prison walls. Then the rumor mill went rampant, turning the situation into a pressure cook soon to blow. Okay, quick question. Do you think if they would, if they got sent there, whatever, Castro would have just straight up went to like execution? I mean, that's got to be maybe the theory, um, torture, execution, you know, persecution, really kind of the whole, every article I read talked about how life in prison was better than life in Cuba for these men. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I could, it doesn't seem to be out of the realm of possibility. Um, but I got to say, if 125,000 or whatever came over and only 20 2,500 of them are in prison, I'm going to go ahead and say, I, I doubt um, the ones that came over most were like, you know what I'm saying? Like had a criminal history or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a low number. Uh, it's, it kind of goes along with like the normal population. Yeah. So if there's 2,500 and there is 125,000 total Marolettos. So 2,500, that's, that's a pretty decent little percent kind of that you would expect, you know, among entire populations. So I, I would have you know. figured, let's just say the United States, because, you know, obviously the United States probably arrest people way more than they should. Um, you know, in the U.S., I would assume that rate between everybody's like, what, five to 10 percent of the overall population. Or you think it's lowest? Maybe it's like two to three percent somewhere in there. Well, when you average it out, it's not that bad. But then when you look at it like through different racial lines, yeah, it's, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, it's much, much higher, you know. Right. And they're much more likely to be sentenced to prison or sentenced to longer terms in prison than like white people will be. But Absolutely. Yeah, it kind of it, it balances down when you rate everyone in there to way more than what this percentage is. So, right. Yeah. That's kind of also why it might be kind of just a, you know, the rumor mill that started the whole Castro sent over the criminally insane. Yeah, I I don't know. The more that we talk about this episode, the less I believe that they were just criminals of Cuba. Yeah, they weren't. I mean, they were they were people who wanted to get the fuck out of there. That's who they were. Right. So and I can yeah. see why they aren't in a big hurry to get back there. Oh, definitely. No. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. By November 23rd, the tension inside the Atlanta prison had reached a boiling point, as the men inside the facility would much rather, like I mentioned before, stay in an American jail than ever be sent back to Cuba. In an interview, a federal accountant working at the Atlanta prison, Alfredo Villac, said that he is actually used to hearing the normal hustle and bustle of the hundreds of prisoners at the Atlanta facility during his usual early morning walks through the corridors, though he remembers that on that day, it was eerily quiet. A few hours later, he and some of his fellow staff workers would be locked inside of their small office with scores of angry prisoners pounding down the small office door, the only thing that was now protecting them. Oh, they're going after Alfredo? Oh. Yeah, poor Fredo. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, okay. I can, that'd probably be pretty scary for Mr. Alfredo here. 
and the others that were in that office. Yeah, I guess if you are in a prison, when it gets too quiet, it's definitely like you can feel something's not right. Oh, definitely. Especially, I mean, any, well, we mentioned movies, anytime that the, like they're, they're in the cafeteria eating, anytime that the cafeteria is really loud and really boisterous, it's kind of normal. But then whenever the cafeteria is just super quiet and everyone's just kind of looking around, that's when you know someone's about to get shanked. Right. Much. Right. <laughs> it's about to go down. Yeah. Now, at about 11 a.m., commotion began first in the dining facility and would later blow up into a full-blown riot with hordes of prisoners taking control of the large facility very quickly reaching the small office where Alfredo and his co-workers had sheltered in place. Before the office door came down, Alfredo actually claimed that he opened the door and attempted to rush the crowd outside, though he soon came to realize the situation at hand, that he and his fellow co-workers' situation had drastically changed, and that he was now the one being held captive. So you're saying him and the co-workers tried to get out, but they realize that ain't happening. Well, according to his account in the article that I read, he tried to make a run for it. Like right before the door was going to get beaten down, he opened the door and tried to rush them to try to like, you know, surprise them and get away. But of course they caught him because there were, you know, shit ton of people outside that door ready to catch him. Well, I imagine from his breakfast spaghetti, probably all them carbs... <laughs> Weighing him down a little bit, making it hard to run away from the prisoners. He reached into his pocket, yeah. pulled out the <laughs> pulled out the Alfredo sauce <laughs> in one pocket and the fucking fettuccine in the other and just started throwing it. You know, damn well, in, in Italy, if they had like an Italian James Bond, his car would definitely be squirting out like Alfredo or uh, marinara <laughs> sauce instead of oil. But um, yeah, either way, God, I didn't... <laughs> Are you going to about to tell me that Mr. Alfredo here is going to be here 11 days? Yes. So there were there is a couple of injured guards who are taken out during early negotiations. Okay. But the hostage crisis lasted for 11 days at this Damn. Point. Yeah. Hell on earth basically not knowing, you know, what's going on. Right. The resulting riot actually saw prisoners setting fire to a 63-year-old warehouse. Over 100 prison guards and staff would be held hostage. Prisoners would demand that the decision to deport them would be changed. And for 11 days, the prison in Atlanta would be taken over by the inmates, becoming the longest in U.S. history. The riot and subsequent hostage situation raged on, with the street outside the prison seeing crowds of family members, reporters, activists and your general looky lose crowding the blocked off avenue <laughs> them fucking looky lose you know what when you when i first heard you saying this part i thought you were gonna say they burned a 63 year old alive and i'm like oh my god he probably just was getting ready to retire don't burn him alive but uh <laughs> uh no yeah it's is most of the rioters the cuban cuban um civilians the cube so the cuban inmates um of the prison population about 1392 were moralitos and there was about between like 1 and 200 like american citizen 
inmates in this prison too but mostly they were the the cubans who made up the mass majority of prisoners in this prison gotcha okay all right then uh okay so this kind of makes sense why they can kind of control this whole situation yeah definitely so it's not like they were all just like one group you know over over the course of years they're going to separate and kind of become different factions which i'm going to mention a little bit later on okay but it does seem like they were all kind of going for one cause though not all of the hostages were you know prison staff there were actually some hostages that were just kind of like regular prisoners who weren't really involved with it who kind of found themselves become prisoner too okay (laughs) all right as the prison was surrounded by police the fire to the warehouse raged on Fire trucks hadn't at first been admitted into the gates. This, of course, due to safety issues. Instead, helicopters would be used armed with large 250-gallon buckets, and they would attempt to drop water on a smoldering building on that first day. Damn, okay. Speaking of this, helicopters with water, um, I saw something that really made me cringe. So you know how the wildfires, I think it's in California again, yeah. Um, I get it. They always have wildfires, but there was a girl who made a TikTok video of her basically taking like a selfie dance and the wildfires were right in her backyard, like right behind her house. And I'm like, ah, you know what? Maybe this is where Darwinism's going to take over. But man, yep. it made me it made me feel bad for society. I imagine she probably had to be rescued also. Probably. Probably. Yeah. It's um, so these are the kind of buckets that you see kind of like they use for like large forest fires and everything. There are there are pictures of it, of these helicopters coming in and dropping water. Uh, This prison was from the early, early 1900s, and it's made pretty much just out of stone, mostly wood, though. Yeah. I'm like, how the fuck did they even start this warehouse on fire? You'd assume it's made of limestone and bird shit or something um oh definitely yeah (laughs) massive (laughs) amounts of bird shit (laughs) uh one of the articles that i read from that time an la times article they had interviewed the fire chief and he said that that building was basically just a tinderbox it's just an old wooden building ah yeah then he's basically like yeah you guys are lucky it's even made it this long honestly (laughs) Oh, definitely. Yeah. I imagine it's not the first time it started. On fire. No, probably not. In the first day after the beginning of the crisis, firefighters would actually be allowed to enter the premises, though when the gates were open to allow a water line through a small group of women who were related to the inmates inside had reportedly rushed the gates. This caused police to stop the women and close the gates immediately. Though it was reported that none of those women rested. They were all taken back across the pool. Let's just say, ladies, not the best time for a conjugal, okay? Oh, no, definitely you know, not. I'm, the The thing is, they were, it really, they had no idea, like, what was going on in the prison. And they had no idea if any of their husbands or, you know, family members were killed during the riot. That, that's kind of what they were worried about. Gotcha. I'm just going to say... If there's a prison riot going, prison riot going on, even if they are dead inside, probably not a good idea for you ladies to be running running into. I'm gonna assume an all male prison while oh, it's yeah. rioting. 
Yeah, you're not going to help anything out. No, running into that prison. Yeah, no, it's, you're not going to. You're not going to be the turning in that situation. <laughs> no, <definitely>. no. <laughs> now, when police and officials were finally allowed to enter the building to begin negotiations, five injured inmates and one guard were taken out of the prison to waiting ambulances, uh, being rushed to the hospital for their injuries. In total. Eight inmates and two guards would be taken to the hospital after those first days of negotiation. Okay, but I'm going to assume they're not the only injured ones. Oh, no. Yeah, there were there were definitely more injured inside. Those were just the ones that were bad enough that they needed to go to the hospital. Gotcha. Okay. Along with the riot in Atlanta, another uprising actually occurred in Oakdale, Louisiana where close to a thousand Cuban inmates were being held at a prison complex in that state. The rioters in Louisiana, whom had also taken 28 hostages in the uprising themselves, claimed that they would kill them if their demands had not been met, with survivors claiming that they had suffered violence on that first night. After being captured, the hostages were separated and taken to different housing units inside the complex. The prisoners in Oakdale would also cause damage to their own facilities, setting all 14 buildings on fire. Damn. Okay. Um, I don't think you've announced the number of people hostage at Atlanta. The oh, over over 100. Over 100. Okay. So yeah, this I mentioned sounds... it in one of the um, paragraphs before, but they were in Atlanta, over 100. Over in 100. Oakdale. Okay. 28 hostages okay but they did beat him in fires oh well i i imagine from the pictures the atlanta fire looks like it's bigger yeah but i mean there's more fires in oakdale and also it's louisiana so it's hot <laughs> as shit even in november it's just always hot there you know damn you know damn well in louisiana they got the helicopters and they just started probably dumping crawdads or crawfish <laughs> all over the fires i'm like why ain't it going out it just smells good Definitely. They're just throwing Mardi Gras beads down on the yeah. fire. <laughs> it's all we got. I don't know what to say. The girls are all flashing the fires back. Why ain't it going out? <laughs> yeah. Our, uh, our actually, our Louisiana accents aren't poor enough. You can barely understand what someone from Louisiana is saying. Yeah. But <laughs> now, according to Oakdale, Louisiana prison guard, Tommy Rigmaiden, he had claimed that the prisoners had first tried to escape through the gates though when they couldn't breach the outer walls they had turned their attention inwards this was towards the guards and towards the facilities they apparently were highly organized brandishing machetes and molotov cocktails where the fuck did they get them from i don't know where they got the machetes from i believe the molotov cocktails you can kind of make those yeah definitely i'm not sure um, maybe if they were taken out to do like some workout in, you know, fields and shit, maybe they were kind of like in the facility. Just, so I'm just going to throw it out there. Maybe not the best idea to give prisoners in a penitentiary, um, machetes if that's the case, but you know what? I'm, I'm not a prison warden. Yeah. That's definitely one item that you want to keep at a, uh, a satellite location, not, <laughs> not on the grounds. Definitely. We have inmate Voorhees. Jason Voorhees, um, <laughs> apparently we're not supposed to let you do any gardening with the machete, so you got to go do something else, Jason. Yeah, the funny thing when I was 
basically reading all of these articles, trying to, you know, piece together this episode. I just imagined a, like a thousand Tony Montanas in that, <laughs> in that prison, taking people hostage and shit, just Coke all over their faces and everything. It is, it is my, it is, you know, the South. So <laughs> that'd be pretty funny. Yeah. It's not Miami, but it is, you know, Atlanta. Close if you had that, that many Tony Montanas, you would definitely, definitely be scary because he yells a lot. Oh, definitely. That'd be the loudest fucking prison ever. That would be terrible. <laughs> now, another guard and former Army veteran, corrections officer Michael Grimes, brought in for extra security during the beginning of the Oakdale, Louisiana situation, claimed that during the beginning of the riot, some of his fellow guards had actually been hit in the head by fire extinguishers. Uh, he was kind of looking. He had a opportunity he claimed to try to jump over the razor wire or take his chances with the inmates. And apparently he didn't really get the choice because the inmates kind of just came upon him. According to his account, he had actually had a knife to his throat and a shotgun to his head while being transported to one of the housing units. Those two items anywhere near your head would probably make anybody pause. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Knife in your throat definitely will lead you around. I think a shotgun yeah. to your head. Um, yeah, a little scary. Yeah, I'm not so... The funny thing about the shotgun, it can do probably, you know... Well, they can both kill you. But the shotgun can do more damage. But with a knife to your throat, you kind of feel the sharpness. I imagine you don't even want to move like, without, you know, having it being very methodical. A shotgun right. to your head is just like, oh, okay, you know, I got a shotgun. What if the shotgun has a bayonet? Possible. Checkmate, yeah. atheist. <laughs> Check me right in your temple. Yeah. The attorney general at the time, Edwin Meese, the third sounds like a real progressive dude mm -hmm. that he would not only put a moratorium on the repatriate, but also give the inmates new hearings on their immigration status. If they promised not to harm any of the hostages that they were holding, uh, he offered that to both the Oakdale and Atlanta prisoners at the time, Edwin Meese was also forced to split his time between the hostage crises and, of course, the ongoing hearings over the Iran-Contra affair, which he was expected to speak in front of Congress. So he was a busy guy. Oh, yeah. That was a busy uh, busy week for him, definitely. B and Thanksgiving's coming up, you know, big, big time. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. So they're getting what they want. So far, nobody's been killed that we know of, right? Yes. Well, there is one person killed. Um, it's I'm going to mention it a little bit, but it's not the the fault of the prisoners. Gotcha. So they're still in. They're still in good with the attorney general because they're still kind of playing ball, especially the ones in Atlanta. Gotcha. OK. Now, as far as hostage crises go, the staff in the Atlanta penitentiary afterwards had claimed that they were generally treated well by their captors, though most had reported having PTSD after the crisis, with many refusing to go back into the prison to work afterwards. The only death that had actually occurred was one of the Maroletto inmates who was killed by a guard after being shot in an interaction during the immediate takeover. Okay, yeah, okay, that... I'm honestly surprised more of that didn't happen because I imagine the guards, if they saw them all coming at him, would have tried to shoot him, you know, 
as fast as possible, but apparently only this guy uh, uh, got him or whatever, shot this guy. I'm assuming shot him. Yeah, I don't know if it was actually from a... It's There's not a lot of, you know, reports on what kind of gun it was, what the situation was. I do wonder... So guards in a prison don't really carry around handguns because it's it's so easy. They're so outnumbered. It would be easy for an inmate just to grab. So True. the people who do have guns usually are people up in kind of like the, you know, the sniper towers with rifles. I imagine maybe that he had got one, but then realized it was thousands of prisoners rioting and maybe tried to get out of it. Yeah, so yeah. I have no, I, I imagine though, those are the only people in a prison you want to have the guns are the people who are away from the prisoners up high. They have rifles. Very true. Could this um, guard have been Yosemite Sam by chance? Possibly. Okay. Yes. Just firing off pistols we, randomly. We know he has a bit of an itchy trigger finger, so you know I didn't know if maybe this was his new job or something. But uh... Clint Eastwood <laughs> getting practice for a role accidentally just blasts somebody with a Desert Eagle. It could be. It, I mean, it's tragic that this guy got shot. But uh, honestly, I'm shocked that. Either only side. one person. It's only yeah. one person, and I'm shocked either side of this, either the hostages or the inmates, not more, got, like, seriously injured. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, you got to think, in my mind, if this had taken, like, all day, if this was a slow process, there might have been some fighting back. If the, in, if, the, if the guards thought maybe they had a chance to escape, maybe there would have been more but i imagine seeing just hundreds of these prisoners coming after you you probably just gave up yeah you know just yeah like you hid and then they found you kind of that situation it's just like the guys in the office that got captured they hid but eventually they just got caught alfredo just said mama me <laughs> <laughs> no i'm not as he's being led away by a <laughs> yeah. knife that's a spicy meatball <laughs> Now, according to a report in the Los Angeles Times, from the first few days of the riot, Atlanta had housed some of the most dangerous inmates in America. Now, according to the report, there were 19 factions that had developed inside the prison, controlling different parts of the facility. Though most of the articles from the years after the riots would never mention the feared hostility of the Marilettos. And I do kind of think that maybe... Some of that um, prejudice had gone away in the years after. I think maybe at the time they believed that this was the most dangerous prison in America because it housed so many Marlitos. Here's the thing. Los Angeles Times. If you are truly located in Los Angeles, you know that the prison called fucking San Quentin exists there that has an untold amount of California serial killers at it. It has a lot of them. Um, and then I don't, I think at this time Alcatraz was still running, wasn't it? Ooh, God, 1980. It had to have, it had to have, it had to have either just closed down recently or still been in operation. Um, one of the, I think it was the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, somewhere in there. So it's, yeah, I do. I do believe it was closed by. It probably was. But what I'm saying is like, they're calling that the most dangerous prison in America. When they literally have what would be a pretty dangerous or have very dangerous inmates in it within their own fucking city. Yeah, the weird thing. So you were talking about serial killers and I'm actually least worried about 
serial killers in a prison. I'm more worried about gang members living in the general population of a prison. Um, kind of like you're more worried about a pack of hyenas than you are a single lion type, right. type of that situation. Yeah, I suppose. So, I suppose. But um, did you ever listen to Ear Hustle? No, I have not. It pretty good. Uh, it was like talking to prisoners and stuff at San Quentin. It sounded like some were gang affiliated, you know, murderers, stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't know. those are the ones at San Quentin. I would be afraid. Definitely. Yeah. 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 You got to remember back in these days, these big newspapers like the Los Angeles Times, they had field offices all over the country. So when you say like the Los Angeles Times reporting out of like Atlanta, they they have some reporters in Atlanta, some in, you know, yeah, for because they're a national they're a national newspaper. There were new people actually like read newspapers. Here's so. the other thing about 100. Well, actually, no, 87. They have another dangerous syndicate just in their backyard with the at the time Los Angeles Raiders. So. I mean, yes. come on, guys. You can't be saying this is more dangerous than the uh, the black hole where the Los Angeles Raiders were. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Also, you're really close to the Miami Dolphins at this time. Actually, you know, any team <laughs> at this time is pretty much filled with criminals. So right. just listen to crime and sports. Yeah, especially the Vikings. They're, well, the Vikings are just starting to warm up. Yeah, definitely. On December 3rd, negotiations would actually come to an end. Finally, when the Cuban prisoners decided to put an end to the uprising and take the deal from the attorney general with prisoners coming out one by one into custody of law enforcement and the facility mercifully will be put back under the control of the federal government in both Oakdale and Atlanta. The crisis would end due to negotiations and not violence, which is very odd for prison riots with no further hostages being killed before their surrenders. Okay, okay. So I guess we'll have to hear the rest of the outcome of this, but so far, I mean, I guess they got what they wanted. Only one person really died from it. So far, while it's, you know, a violent hostage taking is not great, but I think it's better than being probably executed by Castro. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, so I am going to get into what happened because of this. Um, they actually, their outcome for most of them was better because of the riots. Really, I was actually kind of looking into doing a larger episode on prison riots in general, but they all kind of were the same and they ended the same. This is the only one with really any kind of like spice to it, any story to it. That's kind of mm -hmm. why I chose this one, even though it really didn't end in like bloody violence, like you may want. It kind of ended in an, in, it happened in an interesting way. Right, so, right. I mean, this is exceedingly interesting. Definitely. In the aftermath of the 11-day standoff, the toll of the riot was finally taken, with estimates being that $35 million worth of damage had happened to the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary. Also, decisions were made by the Department of Corrections to prepare for and defend against future instances like that of Atlanta and Oakdale with their prison riots. Pretty much they were very preventable. They figured out in, you know, the days after the months after. Also, contingency plans would be made to evacuate staffers during future riots in prisons across America. Yeah, I yeah. 
usually after something like this happens, they're basically going to do everything they can to circumvent it ever happening again. But, um, okay, 35 million, that's quite a bit. I mean, was a 63-year-old warehouse worth worth that much? You got to think, too. It's not only, though, the warehouse was pretty much destroyed. That's not... Uh, that's not the total amount of damage. You got to think thousands, like, what is it? Maybe just over 1,500 prisoners just running amok in a huge building like that. All of the facilities, they probably had to rip. I mean, just imagine having that many college kids, you know, drinking on a campus, just running wild. True. You're going to have to fucking rip the drywall, <laughs> you know. <laughs> there isn't there isn't an inch of carpet that hasn't been fucking jizzed on or shit on. Pretty much about that point. Here's the other thing so. we're forgetting, too. This is America. Half of that was probably the medical bills for the eight people who went to the hospital. It would be oh, my definitely. guess. So, yeah. 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 So we got to factor in that. I mean, they're obviously adding the medical expenses to this. So that makes more sense. You got to remember, too, these are government contracts. So contractors, probably for that office door that got torn down, that's probably an $8,000 door. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. It is America, we have to remember. (laughs) Right. (laughs) As for the Oakdale Penitentiary, uh, they decided there was so much damage, they pretty much, it was a complete loss, but they did decide to rebuild the million-dollar facility, multi-million-dollar facility. Okay. Now, as for our boy Alfredo, he had claimed that he didn't really have much trauma from the crisis, Though he also said that he really only worked at that facility for a few months later before asking for an immediate transfer to another facility, claiming really that he doesn't mind speaking about the riot in interviews as it helps with his mental state to talk through it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, generally trauma, that is a good idea to talk about it. So, I mean, I don't know if I can necessarily blame him. You might kind of always have that lingering in the back of your head like maybe that'll happen again you know what i mean or i guess oh, it's definitely ne- i guess it's technically you know you didn't say explicitly that's why he transferred but i can almost guarantee it played a part in it oh i bet that would if he had a list of things i'm bending that's number one <laughs> yeah definitely is the <laughs> riot and yeah. him being held hostage for 11 days that would definitely i don't know i it, it's kind of he claimed that he didn't have much trauma from the incident. I don't know if he's trying to be maybe like kind of, you know, act tough or or whatnot, but definitely getting transferred out of that facility. I couldn't come back to work ever in that facility again. No, no, it, it would uh, it'd be hard, especially if it's 11 days of that. Like, that's a lot. Yeah. And also, too, he's not he's an accountant. He's not a guard. It's not like he has to work in a prison. He can work anywhere. You know, he can. They need accountants everywhere, especially back then. Computers sucked. They needed accountants really bad. Yeah, he's probably got the best one of those fucking annoying calculators where you like hit it and then that roll. Yeah, every single time you do it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. He also has the uh, the poker too. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much uh, they have to wear those a lot. <laughs> Very true. Now, for the Maralettos that had held the upper. That transfer of refugees back to Cuba was halted, with many of the men serving out time in other institutions. Some of them even really were just kind of released and later be made American citizens, though 
about a thousand of the total Marletos who would have been deported back to Cuba eventually did uh, have to go back. So a lot of them did have to go back, but not as many as would have before. I wonder what was like the stipulation for the ones that had to go back and the ones that didn't uh, have to go back. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, there's just so many of them and they were spread out across the country. Um, I do. I mean, obviously the prison uprising, they just wanted to halt any future uprisings, obviously any future riots. Um, I do also wonder if they kind of let the news cycles, you know, wash themselves out before kind of quietly transferring them in chunks back yeah, to Cuba. Yeah. That's kind of how I would, in my mind, that's how I would do it. Because at first they were just going to be like, okay, 2,500 are going back right now. And then they were like, oh, okay, okay, let's slowly bleed them out of the country. Let's not, you know, push them out. We'll just slowly leak them out. So, yeah, okay, yeah, that make I, I'm right alongside, uh, I agree with what you said there. Yeah, definitely just kind of, I mean, really the Reagan administration at this time was not, you know, not in a great standing. It's amazing that Bush won that election. Right. Yeah. If his opponent hadn't been seen, you know, driving a tank with that weird hat on, he actually might. (laughs) If you've ever seen that, it's fucking hilarious. Who was his opponent? Fucking um, General Patton? His opponent was Dukakis. This little guy. Okay. And basically they wanted him to look tough, like a big tough guy like Bush was. So they had him driving a tank, but the tank operators, the the hat that had the headphones on it looked ridiculous on his head. So they think it actually might have lost him the election. Probably did. Probably did. Yeah, definitely. If you saw the video, you would laugh here. <laughs> now, as for the Atlanta Federal Prison, it actually remains open to this day though with far fewer inmates. The facility originally opened in 1902 and has actually housed some major names in criminal history that you may recognize. So some of these names are Al Capone and Whitey Bulger. Both of them served time in Atlanta before being sent to Alcatraz. Yep, know them names. Oh, definitely, yep. Fraudsters, Carlo Ponzi and Charles W. Moore okay. also spent time in this prison. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm not sure what Morse did, but obviously I know that last name. Oh, yeah. He's not the same as the uh, Morse code guy. <laughs> but, he, yeah, he uh, he also did some, uh, some fraud, kind of like Ponzi. Obviously, his last name didn't become synonymous with, you know, a huge scheme. Right. Um, you know what's funny? Morse, the guy who created it, this like book I was reading, oddly enough, about a huckster was kind of talking about um, I can't remember the original Morse's name, but he had a lot to do with like uh, early photography and stuff. So an early inventor. Yeah. Yeah. Of kind of like technology we take for granted now. Did I ever tell you why or according to this book, why he created Morse code? Why is that? So. You know, obviously back then it was hard to like get news if you were traveling or whatever. Yeah. Well, his wife had died and he didn't find out for like a month after or something like that because it took so long for the mail to get to him. So he didn't oh, want he yeah. didn't want like anybody else to have to wait that long to learn their love of their life had died, <laughs> you know, which is fucked up and I don't know, it's a really sad story, but it's 
it's kind of pretty at the same time, like uh, why he made it, you know, for his dead wife. Yeah, I imagine for him to get the news at that time, somebody and take the letter to him. Right, right. Another famous one and the last person that we're going to mention, actually from the early 1900s, Eugene Debs. He was a famous American socialist and political activist. He was actually imprisoned for opposing the World War I draft. Debs would run for president while housed in the Atlanta Penitentiary in 1918. He actually received 900,000 votes while being a prisoner. Damn, that's more than Kanye did last election, but... um, Definitely. Okay, all right, I guess. (laughs) Seems like quite a few votes for that time period. Yeah, I don't know exactly. I don't know what election, but 900 votes, you know? I mean, that's kind of like the population of, what, like two Montanas? Yeah. Three Idaho's. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, that's a lot of votes. I mean, if you think about that time period, you had I think America lost what, like five million in World War One. And then the Spanish flu killed like 50 million. So the population was dwindling down in America at that time. And it wasn't, you know, that big. Yeah, I don't know if five million people died in World one i think that number might actually be the spanish flu number uh i think the spanish flu is like 60 million but i know that's probably worldwide that's probably worldwide yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah definitely still six, losing 60 million people at that is would, quite the fucking hit yeah. <laughs> we would still be feeling it today if that many people died i mean even even worldwide that's quite a lot oh definitely you know? yeah. but uh but yeah uh phil you know what Awesome story. I've obviously never heard of this. I know about the Cubans coming to America, but I didn't know about all this. And I'm kind of shocked that I would assume Castro had to agree to take these prisoners back, right? Oh, yeah. He, so it was kind of, uh, this is, we were talking about the waning days of, you know, communism in the Cold War. This is pretty much after, you know, 1987, it's all coming down and they're trying to not make peace completely, but trying to soften things up. So I can imagine they're taking them back for that reason. But yeah, he apparently, you know, agreed to take back those criminal, you know, Marilettos. So it's crazy to think about. I mean, travel didn't open up there again until what, 2015 or 14 or something like that. Oh, yeah, it was uh, during the Obama administration. Yeah, I I still remember that. That was like a pretty big deal because we did. You'd have to go to like Mexico and then go over to Cuba or go to Canada and then go over to Cuba or something like that. Yeah, I was. uh, It's pretty pretty neat. I'd I'd probably visit there. Would you? Oh, definitely. Yeah, they have a lot of lot of history, a lot of cool buildings and stuff like that. Yeah, for I was gonna say quick for this episode, it's a little bit different than we usually do. But we've been doing quite a bit of uh, paranormal aliens and kind of like, so the past few episodes, I've been trying to do something different. I hope people liked it, but it's kind of interesting to me. You know, the I really like the movie Scarface and all that. <laughs> kind of learned a lot about that time frame. Yeah, it's super interesting. I'm guessing not many people know about this or I would assume don't know about the riots, you know. Oh, definitely not our age. Yeah, no. anyone our age probably knows very little about it. So any any, uh, you know, mid millennials. Very true. Well, if anybody wants to contact us and uh, tell us the number of rate or the one to ten rating they give star Scarface, where can they do that, Phil? 
They can hit us up on our email, <laughs> subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, great to hear from everybody. You know, love all the support, you know, even the criticisms. It's all good. Uh, they can also get a hold of us on our Instagram, Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. Same thing, you know, all the shares, everything. It's great to hear from everybody. Cody and I also have our own Instagram accounts. Mine is SDPodPhil. Cody, you got one? You can follow me on Instagram at Cody Subub. Uh, follow me there. Talk to me if you'd like to. I do appreciate the messages we get, uh, you know, whether to make a comment about an episode or episode idea or shoot the shit, whatever you want. Uh, the last thing we need you guys to do is to log into iTunes, leave a show five-star view. doesn't really matter what you say, just preferably five stars and type whatever horse shit you want in there. If you're a Spotify listener, it's even easier. All you got to do is hit the five-star button, hit submit, and that's it. You can't even type shit on there. And we thank everybody who's taking the time to either leave us a review on any platform possible. Well, Phil, excellent job. Nice history, you know. I think this is a history that people should know, definitely. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys.